Vodafone Business is now part of the AppDirect Technology Advisors community. For AppDirect Advisors, this partnership expands your ability to solve complex business challenges for customers, including connecting multinational U.S. customers to Vodafone's global network. Key areas that Vodafone can help global business with their digital transformation include fixed, mobile, and IoT connectivity and solutions globally. To learn more about how Vodafone Business can meet the needs of multinational businesses, contact your channel manager. Welcome to another episode of AppDirect Talks Tech. I'm Eric Hills, training manager with AppDirect, and along with me is Dave Polakowski, operations trainer at AppDirect. And we have a uh, reoccurring guest on the pod. I believe it's his third appearance. Is this your third appearance? That sounds about right. It's about, it's three. It's at least two. It's at least multi- multiple time guest. It is our dear friend, director of education enablement. It's Dave Landsberger. Dave, how you doing? Hey. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be back. Good to be in the recurring lineup of no, guests. No medals on this show, but we're glad to have you back as always. Absolutely. I'll take it. So what's uh, what's going on with you, Dave? What's new? And actually, I'll, I'll probably call you Dave Landsberger since I am also Dave. This could get really yeah. confusing very quickly. But <laughs> that works. What's what's new with you, this you, Dave? <laughs> yeah, just uh, getting used to sort of working with all of the new advisors here at AppDirect. Uh, been out in the field a lot. This summer, going into the fall, doing some education events, and a lot of the focus that we've had at those events is cybersecurity, which I know is something we're going to be talking about today. Uh, There's definitely a huge appetite for learning in the channel partner community when it comes to cybersecurity, so just trying to help close that gap as much as possible. And we're coming up on the end of October here already. I can't believe it's gone by so fast. So almost happy belated Cybersecurity Awareness (laughs) Month by the time you're probably listening to this. But I know uh, we have a cybersecurity certification coming out uh, soon about, Dave? Yeah. So it's in the lab. Right now we have it with some internal testers and we're getting feedback on what we've built. We're using a lot of different tools, leaning into some artificial intelligence to help us with our education, which is... I think really important, especially in the education field, it's been transforming a lot of things. Uh, No different here in continuing education or adult learning, if you want to think of it that way, here in the private sector. So investing in a lot of those skills in our team and just getting feedback on it. But yeah, that security certificate program will be available soon. You will definitely hear if you are tapped into this podcast, it's probably highly likely that you're going to know when this thing gets released. Uh, but we'll be sure to mention it again on an, uh, another episode when it finally debuts, I would think. You mentioned us using AI to put that shirt together. Right? In the digital age, there are more tools that we can take advantage of, but they're just that. They're tools. They're not going to do our job for us. And I think security has always been important if it's not been top of mind in the past. But why why is security that much more important in the context of a digital age, You know, digital transformation and cloud than it has been years past, Dave? Well, I think it's simply just the change in architecture, right? You used to build sort of a castle that you could control on-premise or at a co-location facility, and that has just completely changed with the amount of software applications and virtual machines and instances that are replicated across the globe when you move into a cloud environment. So your threat surface gets extended, which means you have more threat vectors, therefore there are more endpoints that you need to protect. What's cool is that with every day that passes, 
our provider community and our advisor community get stronger at supporting their end users when it comes to these solutions. So obviously, cybersecurity is an evolving threat. There's always going to be, you know, zero day threats that we're just going to be learning about as we're triaging them. But I think that the support structure around cybersecurity and more importantly, the business emphasis and need for cybersecurity has never been greater. So that really plays well into a lot of channel partners' hands. Uh, one statistic that I came across that I thought was really telling, and this is from uh, Canalis, a uh, research firm, is that more than $9 out of every $10 of cybersecurity sold goes through a channel partner. And that's an wow. incredibly telling stat about yeah. the future of where this is going. Because, you know, if you have, if, if you're out there and you're an advisor, just think about your portfolio of business and what solutions compromise the majority of it. Safe to say that it's probably not cybersecurity that is the largest chunk of it, unless you are a specific MSSP. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is just because that growth potential, that more than $9 out of every 10 spent, well, pretty soon that'll be out of every $20 spent, out of every $100 spent, out of every $1,000 spent. There's such a massive lucrative opportunity here for advisors. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, just to kind of circle back, when we're talking about cybersecurity, um, what are some of the potential risks, I guess, uh, that business face if they don't take this seriously, right? Well, yeah, I mean, those threats can be really vast um, to the point of obviously losing your business. Yeah. And this is an extreme case scenario, right, where you take such a massive PR hit or a hit with your customer base that it creates so much fragility around your business that you can't recover even through the means of declaring bankruptcy, but some of the more interesting trends that we've seen now is how this is shifting into some personal liability because a lot of responses that we see to cybersecurity incidents aren't always made public. That's intentional sometimes to sort of follow the paper trail, the breadcrumbs, if you will. But there's also sort of a fiduciary and a, um, a moral responsibility to educate the general public, especially if you're a publicly traded company, around something that takes place uh, that would be classified as an incident. So now we're starting to see individuals in IT have to pay fines personally, not through the company. Individual CTOs, CIOs, CISOs are getting fined for negligence at some of these publicly traded firms. And if you if you're in, you know, um, not the private sector, but the public sector, you know, you could obviously lose your job. So, I mean, I'm not trying to scare people by bringing this up. I think that it's just like any other component of how you do business. If you violate a policy or if you're negligent from an HR perspective, you're probably going to lose your job. <laughs> now, now we're at the point where IT security is sort of one of those standardized items of your job responsibilities. And if you don't do it, it will obviously negatively impact you as a professional in addition to the company as a whole. And how do you think the C-suite being held more personally liable is going to trickle down to, you know, an Eric Hills and a Chris Bobo. Like, is that going to change the way we're interacting with the company and change the, the obligation that we have as employees to help protect our employer? Yeah, I think if anything, what we'll see and we are seeing is more emphasis on security awareness training and what that means for you as an end user individual. So, yeah, you'll probably see firms invest in those types of solutions if they haven't yet, simply to just sort of CYA. 
But on top of that, the idea is that we see some increased preventative spend on some of these best practices that you see in the NIST framework when it comes to cybersecurity. Some of those conversations, if you're a channel partner and you've been doing this for a while, you know those are not always easy conversations. You have to get creative. You have to figure out, all right, well, there's this piece of your network spend that I'm consolidating down with SD-WAN. Instead of just taking that money and doing nothing with it off the savings, let's invest into cybersecurity, right? That's what a lot of savvy channel partners are doing today. And I would ex expect that to continue as we start to see different lines of business invest more in cybersecurity, not just the IT team being like, hey, we're vulnerable. For sure, yeah. And as, as advisors are you know, hopefully taking cost savings from this side and foraying that into cybersecurity, like other than the, the fear and doubt, you know, what kind of trends or technologies can advisors get customers excited about? when it comes to investing in cybersecurity. Yeah, getting getting excited about it is an interesting proposition, right? Because <laughs> the conversation tends to be about risk. And getting excited about risk is sort of like getting excited about insurance. And, you know, there is digital insurance now. I think it's more, I think the angle to me is more around uh, competitive uh, analysis and remaining ahead of the game when it comes to your individual field and the people that you go up against in open bids with open customers. This is going to be a differentiator for you if you can maintain that you you have a secure environment over time. And if you're a very complicated business structure where you have a large supply chain of either digital or physical goods, you're sharing a lot of information, you're moving widgets across the world, whatever it might be, you have to start looking at this more seriously because the United States government is going to force you to and already is, depending on what state you live in. And if you're outside of the U.S., you are probably dealing with more stringent laws and regulations already. Yeah. So, Dave, uh, you know, one of the new favorites among, you know, the bad guys or the criminals, so to speak, is, you know, ransomware, right? So um, according to a 2022 Verizon report, 60% of ransomware incidents did not result in any loss, but for the other 40% that pay, the losses can be crippling, right? So it's a cost of data breach 2022 report. IBM revealed an average ransom payment of $812,360. Or $812, so with ransomware attacks being more prevalent, you know, and it's kind of a... Uh, uh, a team effort as far as making your company resilient to that. Um, what obligations do employees have to, you know, protect uh, employers from ransomware, phishing, social engineering, any of that? Fun yeah, stuff? I mean, <laughs> it, it kind of depends on your company handbook. <laughs> sort yeah, of right. The, the by the book answer, if you will. Um, but I do think that frontline employees have a responsibility to maintain and make sure that the environment is safe. Because you want to receive your paycheck, right? You want to make sure that everything keeps moving. You want to make sure that you're working for a company where you can get a raise, where you can get a bonus. And so, yeah, it is on the individual user. You know, you mentioned ransomware. Humans are the most fallible component of a cybersecurity strategy. And this is really hard. Like, let's be honest. We all deal with it as individuals, whether we're at work or we're at home. I get weird spam text messages all the time being like, hey, USPS is trying to deliver a package. Click on this link and authorize your address or whatever it's asking me for. And it's like, you know, www.usps.com. 
tr- package tracking slash whatever dot com. You know, it's obviously a bunk link. But the only reason I know that is because I've been trained and I, I train other people on cybersecurity. You know, God forbid I'm somebody who's not a digital native and I don't understand what I'm dealing with. And all of a sudden I'm clicking on something that I shouldn't. So, yeah, I mean, it does fall down to the individual user because that's where most incidents start, whether it's just a bot that enters the network and just starts learning, watching behavior, waiting for the right time to strike, trying to figure out where all the critical databases are, where the passwords are that they need, and also just learn how hard is it going to be for me to crack into this company. That's how all of these threats start, is simply by just doing some simple reconnaissance. Somebody clicks something they shouldn't, something gets placed in, it just starts watching the environment. And it happened to me just the other week. I'm working away doing my thing, and I get an SMS on my Zoom console. Hey, Eric, it's Nick Demaray. Do you have a minute? All right. And normally I would be like, oh, that, you know, of course that is just spam nick demaray is not texting me but we're doing this user advisor testing thing around onboarding so i'm like maybe it could be him what you know hey nick what do you need and he's like i'm in a meeting with stakeholders can you and then i'm like okay report to infosec and like block the number i'm not responding anymore but like dave said it's because we've we've been trained right i think some of it has to do with us also working remotely today like you know let's be honest i'm not in jeans every day at my home office desk, you know, you're just more inclined to respond more casually to that stuff also sometimes. So like, what are, what are some key strategies and best practices for implementing effective cybersecurity measures when we're in the office, when we're at home? Like, you know, how do, how do businesses start to tackle that? Yeah, I think it's a combination of employee awareness training, like we've already mentioned, and then having some type of EDR, MDR you know, to actually monitor endpoints, uh, whether or not you take action on them sort of depends on what your advisor network looks like as an individual customer. Do you work with MSPs, et cetera? And then on top of that, having some type of SOC services. I, I mean, the other component I would say is just being able to restore, which is very different from having backup. I feel like backup is pretty cheap. A lot of businesses do invest in it, but where they fall short is actually implementing testing of the restoration environment and making sure that it's resilient and that they can pull it back from a point in time that doesn't completely destroy their business on a temporary or a long-term basis. That stuff costs money. Like, let's just be honest. If you're trying to restore all of your systems in real time to a certain point in time, and a lot of this is trial and error, right? You're going to, you're going to bring it back And you maybe don't know when the actual incident started. Like I mentioned, some of these uh, devices, pieces of software, bots that are getting installed on a network, they'll be there for months before they do anything. So do you really want to restore from six months ago, from eight months ago? You might have to. But a lot of people are just restoring like, oh, we noticed the breach three days ago. Let's restore from four days ago. Well, that actually doesn't help you very much. So you have to test it. You have to have different segmented environments in order to do so effectively and may, and ba- basically just take it to the next level when it comes to your cybersecurity spend. I mean, we have to spend money in this area if we want to maintain resiliency. There is no way around it. Yeah, it's not a sunk cost fallacy. And you said earlier in the conversation, it all comes back to risk, you know, and I think a diligent cybersecurity posture today looks a lot different than it might have, you know, at the at the start of the millennium, you know, so 
who needs cyber insurance? You know, that's that's one we hear floating around a lot with advisors. Yeah, I, I think the cyber insurance trend is really interesting because it is kind of a, about how big your threat profile is and who you do business with. So, for example, like if you have a really sophisticated supply chain, like I mentioned, those people might originate your breach. It might not be you. You might be totally shored up. But you probably want to look into insurance or some of your supply chain partners might actually require it. So that's something you really need to take a look at. Outside of that, I would say it's it's a matter of how many digital assets do you truly have? Is Are you a, a business that says data is the new gold, is the new oil? Or are you doing business more traditionally, more transactionally around product as opposed to digital? Maybe e-commerce isn't a huge focus for you. So if you are one of those digital forward businesses in terms of your intellectual property, how you generate revenue, and how you do business with end users, I'd say you really need to look at insurance. So Dave, um, obviously great information today. Appreciate you coming back on for your third or fourth or whatever time it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, um, you know, for all the advisors out there, obviously you got a lot of information here. Um, Dave, can you kind of just summarize, um, you know, maybe a call to action to our friendly advisors listening out there? Yeah, I would say <clears throat> very quickly, AI is transforming a lot of different spaces here and cybersecurity is no different. AI has been used in cybersecurity to detect anomalies and different algorithms for a long time. So it's not like this is new to cybersecurity, but I think it's such a big talking point with customers and just general Americans around AI and how it's affecting us. I think it's a great place to start a conversation with a customer to learn what are they doing about AI today? How well trained are they? Because it's a different type of literacy, just like when we talk about cybersecurity literacy as well. So there's going to have to be a whole nother movement of training around AI, which I think is something you can lean on AppDirect for in the future as well. Well, thanks, Dave. And that's been uh, Dave Landsberger, frequent guest on our pod. He hope to have you back soon sometime. And uh, for Eric Hills, I'm Dave Polakowski. This has been AppDirect Talks Tech. We will catch you later. We'll <laughs>